Well, I'm really looking forward to the next few Sundays as we look at Isaiah, the ninth chapter, the sixth verse. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know, uh, the names that uh, people are given in Scripture mean something. They're given for a reason. And uh, I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure all of you have, how many of you ever had to, to decide what to name a child? Let's see your hands. Okay. Some of you never had to decide. Okay, that's a good thing. Uh, as uh, we're starting this, looking at the, we're going to be looking at the names of Jesus. Just think about the naming process. We've uh, had to do this four times, and it seems like it's been different every time. Different things come into play. Before our son was born, Grandma sat Sharon down and told her, now if it's a girl, you know, you can name anything in the world, but of course, if it's a boy, you're going to name him Joel, you know. And so we have Joel Dyer McMahon the fourth. And uh, because grandma said so. And uh, that's just, we just couldn't do that to her. And we're so glad that we did because he was the only uh, great grandchild she ever got to hold. She went home from College Station uh, after sitting and beaming and holding Joel when he was just about two weeks old. And then she went home and about two weeks after that, she just passed away. But uh, anyway, uh, the thing is, there was no question as to what Joel would be named. I'm not going to go through how the other names came about, but uh, just stop and think there are these rules that sometimes they're unspoken. And if you don't know them, they can really cause you some trouble. Uh, suppose, like if your spouse ever dated anyone with a certain name, that name is off limits from now until the end of the world. If you ever dated anybody with a certain name, you know that that name is off the table. You just don't do that. If your parents or your spouse's parents ever knew anybody that had this name that they didn't like, uh, or thought that those people were slightly odd or weird or different, then that name is off the table as well. Because, nah, I just don't know about Horatio, you know. Anyway, uh, the whole naming thing can take a lot of effort, and it's really important because it is going to stick with that person the rest of their life. And if you don't think through names carefully, you can wind up with a real fiasco like the Mann family did when they named their daughter Anita. And so she went through her unmarried life, Anita Mann. Okay, uh, then uh, there's some other names. Let's see. Uh, the Wrights, who named their daughter Eileen. So she went through until she married. I guess she was glad to give so she wouldn't have to say Eileen Wright. You know, uh, this time of year after Black Friday, Lois Price. That's uh, another one. Uh, then we had a, I had a friend named Jim, and he married our friend Maida. His last name was Killen. And so she wound up, her, last, her name was Maida Killen. And then, of course, there was uh, 
a lady named Helen who married a Mr. Back. And uh, after 10 years of marriage, he said, yes, he had been to Helen Back. Uh, and then uh, the thing is, you just got to be careful what you name your children. Now, what we're going to do in this series, we're going to be looking at four names of Jesus. And these names that we find in Old Testament prophecy, that was given some 700 years before Jesus was born. Uh, and it was, these names were given in a time of great turmoil and a lot of fear. And into the midst of that turmoil and fear, Isaiah said this verse that's heard so often during this Christmas season, for to us a child is born. He will be called, first of all, Wonderful Counselor. Now, you know, any name that God gives is a perfect name. He knew exactly what to name Jesus. He knew exactly what we should call him. He knew that the names that he was given would describe him and describe a need in our lives as well. And so, first of all, today we look at Wonderful Counselor. But before we go there, I want to say, talk about perfect names. Do you know that you have a perfect name? He has it for you in heaven. In Revelation, the second chapter, the 17th verse, we read that those who overcome are going to be given a white stone. And on that stone is going to be your real name. He has, he knows your name. And it's going to be a secret name that's only going to be known to you and to him. But you have a perfect name. He has named you. No matter what anybody else may have named you, he has his own name for you. Your creator has you pegged with just exactly the right name. Did you know you there that you were that special to him that he named you? I think that's important. But today we want to look at this title, Wonderful Counselor. The Greek words are Pele, which means too wonderful for words is basically what it means. And then Yaats means to advise or to consult or to guide. And you know, we all look to others and to other places for counsel, don't we? All of us uh, from time to time seek the advice of others. In fact, it's become a major industry. It's amazing uh, how things crop up. You know, as uh, it seems that church and what church really is supposed to be all about is going out of the out of style. All of a sudden, life coaches have become a very popular thing. Have you noticed that? Life coaches. Now, you know, this is one of the things, one of the things I loved about living in rural northeast Texas towns was uh, many times there were no ordinances against a lot of stuff, no building codes, nothing like that. And it was so cool. You could do anything you wanted to. And like, uh, uh, well, see, Toby, if you wanted to be a dance instructor, all you'd have to do, just hang out a shingle. Toby Carpenter, dance instructor, you know? 
And people come take dance lessons from you. I mean, it's just amazing. If you wanted to, be, Avery, if you wanted to be a plumber, you just hang out the shingle there, and people are going to call you to come fix their leaky pipes. You know, it's just a amazing electrician. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, I remember the, our our church electrician in Maud. One time, I asked him, "Did he want me to flip the circuit breaker?" So while he's working on some stuff, says, oh, no, no, I do this all the time. Yeah. So all day long, while I was in my study working out here, ow, ow. And she kept electrocuting him, shocking himself because he was too proud to ask me where the circuits were or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, it's just amazing. You want to be a mechanic? Just get yourself a set of tools and open up shop, you know. Well, there's some businesses that are totally unregulated anywhere, and life coaching is one of them. Isn't that amazing? If any of y'all want to be a life coach, all you need to do is just put an ad in the paper, and you can be a life coach. There's no regulation on it whatsoever. And you know what? Life coaches, I was looking this morning, they average getting $229 for a one-hour session. Isn't that amazing? People are paying $229 to unlicensed people to tell them how to live their lives. That's just incredible. That shows how desperate people are for uh, guidance in their lives because, you see, sometimes they know they're just not on the right track. And they know they need something or someone to help get them heading in the right direction. Well, you know what? We have the greatest life coach ever. His name is Jesus. And his, uh, his, his fee is just, come to me. That's his fee. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your souls. It's just so amazing that... Uh, you know, people do seek counsel. They seek it from all different sorts of places, and we get guidance from different places. And uh, we look through Scripture, and we see people looking in the wrong places for guidance. We see young kings who uh, discounted the uh, advice of the elders and uh, and of the Lord, and listened to their peers and to the, their servants and got the kingdom just all messed up. We uh, see uh, there was one king, I can't remember his name, that listened to the counsel of his mother instead of listening to the counsel of the Lord and really got things messed up. It says in uh, the Psalm, the uh, in Psalm 1-1, the first words in the book of Psalms is, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And there are plenty of uh, people who are not righteous who will give you all the advice that you would want. But there's one who will always give you the right advice, and he'll always tell you the truth. His name is Jesus, the wonderful counselor. Yeah, I want us to uh, just uh, look at some of the things about this this morning. First of all, who is, who, is he, who is he here to be a counselor for? Who did he come to be a counselor for? He tells us uh, uh, very clearly uh, who he comes for. He told uh, the religious people that thought they had it all together uh, one time. He was calling his disciples, and he called 
a guy named Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. And you know, uh, do we have any tax collectors or people in, 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 our, in, our, in our congregation here? If you, if you work in a tax office, please hold up your hand. Okay, because I had the tax assessor collector was uh, in my congregation in center. And whenever we got to things like this, it always got real ticklish how we talked about this, you know. It was a big joke, you know, because he was sitting, he sat right over there, you know. And uh, so anyway, but it's you see, tax collectors were put in a lower echelon. They thought there was a very special place in hell for tax collectors in the culture that Jesus was in. There were tax collectors and sinners. There was a, they didn't even, they, tax collectors were so bad, you couldn't lump them with sinners. I mean, you, you couldn't, you couldn't just call them, you couldn't, they wouldn't layer the label of sinner. It wouldn't stick. Tax collectors and sinners. They always set them together. And so here is Matthew, who is a tax collector. And tax collectors were looked on so badly back then because they were those of the, they were Jews who had sold out to the Roman government or to uh, somebody who had bought the franchise in that area. And uh, they were collecting taxes for the Romans. And uh, people, they, the Jews didn't want the Roman oppression. And here they were with fellow Jews making money off of them. And so they were just really looked down on. And here is Matthew. And he winds up being called to be a disciple. And all it says, and he rose and followed him. That's what Matthew says about it. But then you read on in the gospel accounts and you see that Matthew was just so thrilled that he threw a party. And uh, if you throw a party, who do you invite? You invite your friends, don't you? Guess who tax collectors' friends are? Nobody had anything to do except other tax collectors and sinners, you know? And so that's what was there at this particular party. They were all, they were all these people that didn't use proper table manners, that uh, they, uh, they were just, anyway, the, uh, they just didn't do things right at all. And the righteous people were looking on this rabbi who was starting to lead a bunch of people. And they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your master hang around with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said this. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This word that is used here, sick, the Greek word means to be amiss, to be worthless, to be on a wrong path. And the word sinners means someone who is not on the right track, someone who is missing the mark spiritually and morally. And so the real question this morning, I would think, would be, where are you sick? Where are you in your own life today amiss? Where are you feeling worthless? Do you feel like maybe you're on a wrong path somewhere in your life? The wonderful counselor has come for those who just are on a wrong track where things aren't right. 
in their lives. And we all have those places in our lives. And you know what? The holidays magnify those places where we are using this word in the scriptural way, sick, don't they? Uh, the holidays make good things look better. They make bad things look worse. They magnify our sicknesses. And so where is your point of need, I might say, today? Uh, you know, we've just come through Thanksgiving, and that was kind of a trial run for some of you. And Christmas is coming up. It's right over the, the hill there. It'll be upon us. And so I think today's a good day to remember that we have a wonderful counselor. It could be like so many today, you're depressed. You wake up every day wondering how you're going to get through the day, and you have no hope that tomorrow is going to be any better. Some of you may be living in fear, always worrying or what's going to happen, wondering what's going to happen next, and seem like nothing's good enough and could get worse, and you just live in anxiety. Some of you, let's face it, if you're honest with yourselves, you're stressed. You're looking at your to-do list and uh, you're thinking, how can I ever get it done? How can I shop for everybody? I've got family coming over. The house has to be perfect and the meals have to be just so. And you're just full of anxiety and stress. You're sick. Some of you, it's more of a financial stress. Like, oh my gosh, we're just hurting already and We've got to pay all these bills and Christmas is right over there. How are we ever going to make it? Some of you are just lonely. You see a happy family and you look and you go, why can't I have that? With some of you, it's a more of a family sickness. You've got some problems in your family and you just don't want to address them. And so instead of being excited about being with family during the holidays, you dread it. You don't want to be there. Maybe someone's hurt you and you're angry about it. Maybe that's you. We all have these points in our lives, don't we? The important thing before a counselor can help you is you have to acknowledge the problem. That's one of the things I liked about being a Christ-centered counselor when I spent that year in Christ-centered counseling. Everybody there had already realized they had a problem. They didn't come see me until they were at their wit's end and their rope's end. And so they were they, they had already pinpointed the problem. And all I had to do was just pray with them and head them toward the wonderful counselor. And he's the one that took care of things. But the most important thing was first admitting the problem. Our wonderful counselor's name is Jesus. And he can help every one of you right where you have your sickness this morning, right where your illness is, right where you're hurting. There's three biblical principles I want to share with you quickly, probably quicker than, you know, really quickly, just really one, two, three. First of all, be brutally honest with the counselor. First of all, be honest with yourself. Sometimes people don't want to admit that they've got a problem. And uh, until you admit it, you can't do anything about it. But then... Some people will put on their, I guess you might call it their God mask when they go to pray even, and they don't want to even acknowledge to God that they've got a problem. Be brutally honest with him. Be honest with him about the problem. If you don't trust God, 
Be honest with him about that and he can help you to learn to have faith if you'll talk to him about it. Be very honest about anything that's going on. Be honest about your marriage. Be honest about how things are going relationally. Just be willing to be honest and come before him and say, I need your help. It's amazing what he can do and what he will do. That's the first thing, be honest. Second thing, listen to the counselor's voice. Listen. I would encourage you to, we're uh, going into the holidays. We've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. Go back through, start at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and read through it after having heard this and listen for God's voice speaking to you in relationships. Listen to him speaking to you about faith. Listen to him speaking to you about all those different things that we've already covered in the Sermon on the Mount. And he'll help you to find right where you are in a continuum and right where your growing edge is. But and then listen to him and you'll find you already know really deep down what you should do. And if you don't, his word will make it clear. And then finally, and this is the most important thing, the last thing besides listening to him, do what he says to do. It does you no good to do all the rest of it. And some of you have gotten to this point. You know what's wrong and you've heard him and you know what steps should be taken, but you just don't want to do it. You don't want to forgive. You don't want to reconcile. You don't want to confess. You don't want to let go of that sinful habit that you know is killing you and killing relationship all around you. You've heard his voice. He's spoken deep within your soul and you know, but you just haven't done it. Well, you know what? If you listen to him and if you know what he wants you to do and then you don't do it, then all the rest of it's just a joke. And sadly, this is one of the biggest problems with the church today. They know what they should be doing, and they just don't do it. And so I want to ask you today, where are things not right in your life? And wherever they are, take those things and go before him, knowing he said, come to me. And remember what Peter said when he said, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may in due time exalt you, casting all your cares, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. You know, there's a story about a guy in scripture that uh, didn't do what Jesus told him to do. He came up to him. You know the story of the rich young ruler. What must I do to have eternal life? Keep the, if you kept the command, yeah, every one of them from my youth up, and said, Jesus loved him. They said, son, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. He said he just turned around and he went away, sorrowful. Jesus didn't run after him. Jesus let him go. Jesus isn't going to make you do anything. He loves you and respects you too much for that. But the thing is, that young man could have turned around and headed the right way anytime. And you know, Historians think they've discovered the rest of the story now about who that young man was. And I'll share that with you at another time. 
But it looks like ultimately he did turn around and he did sell everything and he did follow Jesus. That's what he longs for. And I tell you that just to let you know that no matter how long you've been running and how long you've been trying to ignore what's not right and been uneasy about it, he's always ready for you to turn and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Let's pray. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. It may be that sometime during our time together that uh, you've been looking at your life in the light of God's word and you've come to that point where you realize, yes, Lord, I need your help. I need your guidance. I need your counsel in an area of my life. If that's you, would you just uh, lift your eyes up toward me? If yeah, if you say, yes, yes, Lord, I need counsel. I want to pray for you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. There are others here that, that you may have, you've, you've heard the wonderful counselor and you've up to this point, you haven't been willing to do what you know he's been telling you to do. Maybe it's because you're afraid and maybe today you've come to the place where you realize that you hear him saying, how's that been working for you? And you realize that you need to let go of that fear and just do in faith what he wants you to do. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you just lift your eyes up toward me for a moment? Thank you. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Uh, I thank you for these that have been brutally honest with themselves and with you today and said, yes, Lord, I need your help. I need your guidance. And I pray for each one of them that in the days that are ahead, you will just be with them and hear you, they will hear you speaking to them, guiding them and directing them in that part of their life. I pray for those, Lord, who have said, yes, I know what I should be doing and I haven't been doing it. Lord, help me overcome my fear and take that step in faith and start doing what I know you want me to do. I pray, Lord, that for each one of them, you just infuse them with a sense of your presence and your love and help them to understand that you're for them and you're not going to lead them into anything that's not good. That's not the best. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.